together uh, this morning. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. and the privilege of reading the scripture that we're going to teach together this morning. It's in Joshua. It's the first 18 verses of chapter 2. And Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me that by the Lord you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brother and all your family into your house. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Again, happy Father's Day. I don't, is that like a thing? You say that back and forth. I kind of just said it to myself. So happy Father's Day to me and to all of you that are dads. And um, Connor did such a, a just a great job of honoring his dad and honoring all of those of us that get to be biological dads and also spiritual fathers to others that we've invested our lives in. And as he was saying that, I couldn't help but just see a number of your faces in my mind and just so grateful 
uh, for particularly the men on this day who have invested their lives in others in our church family, um, sacrificed for them, prayed for them, spoken words of challenge and compliment to them, uh, and the way that God has used that in the life of our church has just been tremendous. And so, uh, again, dads, whether biological or spiritual, we honor you um, this morning. My dad, uh, I don't know if you're watching dad or Again, hello to all of you that are watching either at home or at another time, um, and particularly those of you dads that might uh, have your wife or kids holding a screen in front of you right now when you'd rather be sleeping. Um, if you're watching in, it's good to be with you. But my dad, uh, I, I think I've shared this a number of times before, but he has uh, dementia. And so my, my dad, my relationship with my dad has changed over the last few years, and I'm still so grateful that I get to share time with them, even though it's very different uh, today. So dad, if you're watching, uh, I love you. Um, I'm honored that I get to be your son, uh, and you've been a tremendous dad. Uh, we, we had a great week last week. If you weren't with us, uh, um, uh, we kind of did a summer kickoff. It was a great kind of time together in here for worship and talking about where God's leading us as a church. And then we had an event afterwards. If last week was your first week with us, I feel obligated to tell you there is not a Pips truck outside with donuts and chai, nor are there bounce houses to jump around and play in. Uh, and yes, we did see a number of, uh, I got to be involved in some great races on the obstacle course that was inflatable last week. Those are not here this week, so um, just, just to set you up in case you were expecting those. But it was a great time as together as a church and to talk about where we're going. I want to just quickly mention two, two pieces uh, that we talked about last week. Um, there'll be more information uh, coming over the number of weeks, but uh, those two pieces are um, our budget uh, as a church and uh, communities and what that looks like for us going forward. Uh, one is we are in the last two weeks of this fiscal year, um, and so we're winding down. This is the 18th. Uh, and as we learned together, uh, I did as well that summer starts officially on the 21st. Do I have that right? You don't care. Nobody cares. That's fine. Um, 18th today, two weeks until the end of June, and then July 1 starts our new fiscal year. Um, and as I shared last week, we've, we're at like, uh, I think mid to low 80s in terms of the percentage of our giving. Uh, and so we hope to finish out these two weeks strong uh, and then have reset our budget next year to be in line with our current giving. Uh, and so we we'll pray and hope to grow it over the next couple of years, but we've adjusted it down to where we are currently. Um, all that information is both in the booklet and online. Um, but even more more important than just money, which is an important part of the life of our church and any church, is what it looks like to be in relationship to one another. Um, if you were here last week and heard that and want to know a next step, um, you can come find me, talk to me. You can go to that table afterwards. You can fill out an info card there or online. All of those will get you to the conversation about what we're doing uh, for communities going forward. We're spending the next three months kind of praying, discerning, uh, and planning, uh, and then look to have some really clear next steps of how we grow into community in, uh, in the fall. And so uh, that's kind of a next step that you can take. I had a number of people ask, like, what can I do? How can we be involved? Uh, what's next? And so more information will be coming, but that's just a, a quick hit. Um, I want to read one verse to you, uh, say a few words about it, and then pray, and we'll jump into what we just heard in the book of Joshua. Our series this summer, we're stepping out of the book of Luke. We'll finish uh, two weeks at the end of, end of summer in Luke and start Acts in the fall as we kick off our 20th uh, anniversary as a church. Our kind of birthday as a church will be the week after, uh, after Labor Day, and we'll kick off in the study of the book of Luke, which is the study of the birth of the movement of what we're a part of, the, the church. In Psalms uh, chapter 68, uh, uh, verse 20, it, it says this, God is a God who saves. 
From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. God is a God who saves. This summer, we're just going to be going through um, stories, largely from the Old Testament, that talk about how God is a God of deliverance. God is a God of salvation. God is one who preserves and saves and rescues and redeems. Um, We have been in uh, the book of Luke, which has been wonderful because it's given us an up-close and personal look at the person of Jesus. Jesus is our savior and our rescuer and our king. And if you don't know Jesus, this has been a great time to get to know Jesus through the book of Luke. We want every single person, not just in this room or watching, but in our city and our nation and the world to come to know Jesus. And so we've been looking at the book of Luke, which takes us very closely into Jesus. We've seen intimately how he's befriended disciples. We've seen how he radically healed people, supernaturally transformed people's lives and taught with authority and then wrestled and debated with the religious leaders of the time. And so we've gotten into the controversy that Jesus caused simply by being who he is. And we've talked about his story of redemption and salvation. So we've gotten to know Jesus. And each and every one of us are faced with the decision of what we believe and think about Jesus. And not just what we believe and think, but how do we respond to Jesus? Do we choose to follow him? We just sang a song that talked about and prayed about asking God to tend our very souls, to cut away what needs to be cut away and to grow the things that God loves within us. That process of following Jesus is what that is, is abiding in him and remaining in him as he transforms our life and changes us. Each of us have a decision on a daily basis of how we respond to Jesus. All of those things are needed and necessary and prioritized in my life. I hope they're prioritized in yours. And what I find sometimes is that I can get so close into looking at my own life it's looking at Jesus is so much better. But what I can miss sometimes is the grand story that God has written throughout all of history that we have in scripture. And so what I want us to do this summer is to back, back up a little bit and take a big view and to be reminded again of how amazing and how awesome God is. As we get a close-up view of Jesus, which we need, we see how awesome God is. But at the same time, we need to be able to back up and see the whole story of God throughout scripture and throughout of history throughout all of history. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to, we've picked a number of stories throughout the Old Testament that remind us that God has everything in control, that God sees, knows, and has created everything, and that he holds it all, and that he is in a process of redeeming and saving. And this verse from Psalm 68, verse 20, that God is a God who saves, that it's from God that we are saved from death, that we are delivered from death, that we are rescued from death. And that doesn't mean just death and separation from God. That means death in all the different forms that show up in our life right now while we're living and breathing. So we're going to be looking at some fantastic stories. And I want to start today uh, with this story of the spies, but it's really a story about Rahab and her family. So I'm going to pray, invite you to pray with me, and then we'll walk through this story and see what we can learn about the God who saves us and who saves his creation. Let's pray. God, in this morning, in this, in this day, in this, what our nation acknowledges as Father's Day, God, we acknowledge you as the perfect heavenly Father. That for some of us, even as we hear that spoken, it's difficult because our reference point to that word is our, our own fathers, which as wonderful or as broken as they may be are not you. And so, God, in in all of the ways that you desire to be worshipped and honored and glorified, 
would we, as we say, our Heavenly Father this morning, would you bring to mind how you are all of those qualities, that you are patient, that you are kind, that you are powerful, that you are good, that you are just, that you are worthy of our worship. And even as we say that, as we declare that this morning, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to help heal us where some of those things are hard to declare or embrace or say. Would you stir in us this morning a willingness to to be healed and to to feel differently about you, to think differently about you, to, to be transformed. Would you, Holy Spirit, renew our minds even in this time together right here? And would you point us again to both the God of all creation and all of history and also his son, you, Jesus? And would we, would we throughout this day make little choices, one after the other, to choose to follow you and to respond to you where you're leading and prompting in our life. And Jesus, as we read this story, as we walk through it together, would you call us forward? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And would you help us to know, as we just sang, how to remain in you, to abide in you, with you? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I, uh, I, I did Google uh, this weekend uh, d- uh, dads who save, or dad saves is what I, what I did, and I was looking for a specific story, uh, and so as I Googled that, and if you're familiar with this, as soon as you Google something, it pops up in your, in your kind of finder section, and the first four things that popped up were all videos of dads saving children from uh, falling into the water. And so I just fell into like a hole of watching those over and over because they're so, so great. Uh, of, uh, and here's the, you know, and this is, I would, I would share this differently if it was on Mother's Day and I typed in mom saves. And there's plenty of those as well as I ran through and really, really both, you know, just equally impressive. But dad's just, you know, a kid falls in and they see it happening, not quite as well as moms see it, but dads, we, we, we get by. And, and they fall in and, and dive in or reach in and grab the kid out and they're just so fantastic and, and sad. Sadly, um, we know other stories, and the story I was looking for was a dad who, who actually gave his life to save uh, not just his daughter, but a daughter's friend, um, and uh, unfortunately uh, did not make it out of the rip current in, in the ocean off of, off of Florida, um, but a dad, and they were honoring and telling stories about this, this father who had given his life, um, which obviously parallels so closely, but as I looked at those videos of dads jumping into the, their pools and saving their kids and, and pulling them out, it's this, it's this great kind of parallel reminder of this is the posture that God is in all the time. The eternal creator of the universe is like on his, on his toes, ready and watching for each of us and, and wanting to, and at times clearly stepping in and saving us from things. And we have a story here deep in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua, where we have this story of God saving this person, Rahab, this woman, Rahab, and her family, her mother and father and all that belong in the family. It doesn't mention any of her kids, but her brothers and sisters that were in her home when Jericho was destroyed. And it's a phenomenal story, and maybe it's familiar to to many of you, or if you've never heard this before, the people of Israel have already experienced being saved. They've been in... uh, slavery for 400 years and crying out to God, God, deliver us, deliver us, save us. And then God finally does through the person of Moses and through a bunch of plagues. And they're wandering the the desert for a long time, 40 years. And then 
They're about to experience the fulfillment of God's promise of this land, of this address that is theirs that they can be in. And they're coming into the land and Joshua is now leading them. And he sends in spies and they go into the land and they check out the land. And unlike when Joshua was a young man and the, the spies that he was a part of went in and 10 out of the 12 said, nope, we can't take it, they're too strong. And Joshua and his buddy Caleb said, what are you talking about? Our God is big, he can do this. 140 years in the, in the desert and come back. And now Joshua is the leader and he sends just two spies. And he sends, sends them in and, and they knock on this particular door who happens to be the home of a prostitute named Rahab. And she hides them from the city leaders who want to take them out because they want to defend their city. But as, as Rahab reveals that the whole city is already in fear of this, this people, this Hebrew people and army that's on the other side of the Jordan River that wants to take the land. And they're already in fear. And so as the story goes, the, the, the men are, are, are sought. The, the king sends out people and says, he sends out some of his, his guards and they go to the home and Rahab lies to him and, and deceives him, tricks him, tricks him. Says, hey, they're not here and wow, I didn't know who they were and they're off and running, go, go get them. I mean, it's almost like a cartoon. Like, hey, if you leave now, you can catch them. And they're like, okay, you know, and they, they speed out of the gate and the, the city closes for the night and they're off for a few days looking looking for them where Rahab sent them. And she goes up to the roof and says, listen, I, I, realize, I realize where we're at. And she says this in verse, verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When God saved his people from Egypt, he did this miracle. You want to talk about how God's saving them. This is it. He, he stops up the river and they walk across on dry land. When you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. So they've already made progress into the land on the, on the other side of the Jordan and now they're ready to come into the land. And in verse 11, she says this. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And then she has this declaration. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What Rahab does here is, is she says, um, we know who you are. And we know who you are based on what your God has done for you. So as the news reports are coming in, as the stories are being told, we know how powerful your God is because he's done these amazing things that we've never seen or experienced. Your God is greater. You are a stronger people because of your God. So she makes this declaration of what God has done for them. He stopped up a river. He delivered you from slavery. He gave you victory over these other, these other cities. Your God is powerful. And then she has this statement of, it's really a statement of faith. She says, your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That, that's not like our gods in our city. Jericho doesn't have a God like that. Jericho has some different gods and we've carved some things out of wood and made some things out of metal and gold. But, but our gods and our stories aren't like your God and your story. That's a completely different level. And so because of that, we're all in fear. And so I know what your God has done, and I'm choosing to, to believe that he is better than, stronger than, mightier than, above our gods. So it's a statement of faith. Your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family as I have shown kindness to you. 
and that you will preserve my family, my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all the family. Will you preserve, preserve me because I'm choosing to show you kindness and I'm choosing to believe in your God. If we, if we stop for a moment and just consider how crazy and how unique this story is in our Bibles because of who Rahab is. Rahab is, a, the first thing we, we hear about her is that she's a, a prostitute. Um, and there's no like, like way to like fancy that up or translate it or, well, in the original language it means it. No, it's a woman who sells her body to make a living. Rahab is a, is a prostitute. So here, here and, and, and that means so many things. And obviously we can immediately think of what that looks like in our society today. But if we can back up for a moment and think about what that looked like in her society, that, that in a society where men were so much higher than women, that in, in most cases, in most cultures, in most cities and in Jericho, that women were viewed as not just less than, but they were viewed as property. So women already weren't treated in any way close to what we've aspired to as a culture today. That they were less than, that they were viewed as property, and then there were some that were even lower than that. So regardless of what her personal experience is and what she did and how she would struggle emotionally, mentally, what her life was like and what it felt like to be Rahab, everyone around her, aside from maybe her only her father and mother, viewed her as the, the least the less than everybody else. It's, not, it's below even property. She was rented. And that's how we have her identified. Rahab, the prostitute. So she's a prostitute. She's a woman. And then the other thing we know about her is that she's not a Hebrew. She's not a Jew. So what's, what's happening here, her trajectory of her life is that she sees a people and a God that is approaching her city and her death is imminent. Her life is over. Not that it's much of a life already, but what's left of it is over because the Hebrew people and their powerful God are coming in and she's seen what has already happened to Sion and Og, two other cities, and she knows that this land doesn't belong to this people and that her people are an evil people. That the people in Jericho did atrocious things and she was just getting by and now there was an outside people, the Hebrew people coming. And because she wasn't a Hebrew, her life was going to end when they attacked the city. She's a prostitute, she's a woman, she's not a Jew. Her life is coming to an end. It would be difficult to paint a picture of a less desirable individual in this moment in the history that we find of God telling in scripture. So what we have is in the book of Joshua, in this story, this grand story of God granting and gifting and fulfilling his promise to give his people a land, in the second chapter, all of a sudden, we have this character who is the least that we could possibly create. And we have this character highlighted because God reaches in to that person's life, to that moment in history, and pulls out and says, this is the one I'm going to save. And so what we have is we have more of learning about God's character because he's demonstrating who he is, not just in his power, not just in his faithfulness to promise, to fulfill his promise, but also in his mercy and kindness to pick the one person who nobody else paid attention to or cared for or cared about until they needed her. And God picks her out and highlights her and we've got a whole chapter about her because God chose to save her. And she in the midst, amidst probably each and every one of us would go, if we could put these pieces together and go, this is what's happening, would have fallen on our knees and said, please have mercy on me. I believe your God is stronger, save me. 
And also, would you save my mom and my dad and my sisters? The least of these is thinking about those around her to save them as well. And we have this person, Rahab, who God decides to save and to rescue and to deliver from certain death. And we have this written in, in verse 14. The spies respond to her plea, her confession and declaration. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, if you keep our secret, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. It's kind of interesting, like the, the spies, like she, she might actually have a little more developed theology of who God is, an understanding of who God is than these spies do. The spies, I wonder if, I wonder what, I wish I could see their facial expression. They're like, okay, you're on our side. We're gonna, we're gonna strike up a deal. If you hold our deal, if we actually get out of this city alive, if, if this works out well for us and you help us, we'll show kindness on you. We will. Not God, we will. We'll not wipe you and your family out. And she understands, I mean, she must have like just smiled, nodded like, yeah, this isn't about you at all. Like I'm pleading with God here. I'm asking for God to save me. And they get lowered by a rope out. And they said, here's, here's a sign, put a red cord out of, your, out of your, your room, your house. Get all your family in there. Don't tell anyone, hide in there when we come. Put a red cord out of the window and we'll, we won't wipe you out. Translation, God will save you if you do this, if you demonstrate your faith in this way. So if you turn just a couple pages, what happens next, there's a couple things that happen in between, but then the people, the Hebrew people come in and, and they do this really, this, the, like the absolute backwardest, worst military strategy in the history of military strategies and, and march like a, a marching band around the city of Jericho a bunch of times in a certain order in a particular way for a number of days. And then they all play like a note or a song or blast on their horns together. And, and God crumbles all of the, the walls around Jericho. In that day and age, you built a wall around a city to preserve it and protect it from any attack. It was the thing that they could hide and if you had enough water and food inside a city, you could, you could be under siege for, for months, if not years, and, and win because the army gives up. And this army, the Hebrew army, has this ridiculous thing. Like, I mean, if, if we would have had social media, then it just would have been highly entertaining of like, look at this silly army marching around again today. Look what they're doing. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, and they're just eating, you know, their, their meals inside because they've saved up and food and water and they're good to go. And then all of a sudden, all the walls just... God just says, done. And all of the walls crumbled and the, everyone in the city is killed and everything of value the Hebrew people take. There's this interesting detail. It says this in, in, in chapter six, verse 25, but Joshua leading the army, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. Rahab and her family are the only ones to live through the battle of Jericho. There's this interesting detail in chapter two as it's describing Rahab's life and the details with the spies. It tells us the, the address of her, 
her apartment and where her home is located. It's located in the wall. It's not like, you know, kind of in the, in the kind of medium neighborhood or it's not in like the, you know, the apartment complex. It's not uh, even in the bad area of town. It's in the least area of town, which is built into the walls. So she literally has a window through the wall and that's how the spies get out, which means the very thing that was visible of God's power, the people didn't do a thing. They didn't throw a single rock and all of the walls crumbled and fell down. But not all the wall, right? There was a part of the wall of Jericho that was left standing and it's where Rahab and her mother and her father and her family was left preserved, the only one. And so if we could have an image of that, if we could have a picture of that, it's God's power demonstrated in the midst of his mercy demonstrated of this one section of the wall that still is standing because it's where Rahab is. And more importantly, it's where God decides to demonstrate, I am a merciful and patient and kind God and I preserve the one who demonstrates faith in me. And he saves this one part of the wall. Some of you may know this, but this isn't just a story for, for Rahab. It continues on. And, and it, it says there at the end of, of that verse of um, verse 25 of chapter six, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. She lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, granted, this was written at a certain particular time, but the fact is, is that Rahab's life continued on through her generation far beyond that. We have this in, in uh, Matthew chapter one, verses five and six, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. It starts with this really, really riveting section of verses called a lineage, and it just names name after name after name after name. But the point is that it's getting to Jesus, and it's fulfilling God's promise to use the line of David to get to the Messiah, the Christ, the Jesus. And it says this in Matthew chapter one, verses five and six. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father, and on and on. But it gets to Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And it continues on, it gets to Jesus. And what we have is that intentionally, specifically, we have this life of this woman who is not just saved and God's promise is fulfilled to her, but she goes on and she finds a husband and she has a family of her own as she's now grafted into the very people that she's not one of, but she's grafted into the Israelite people, the, the Hebrew people. And she's mentioned specifically in the line of Jesus. Now, if we, this, there's a whole lot of names in there that are, are great. If you're thinking, if you know, if you're pregnant and having a kid, Obed, highly recommend Boaz. That's fantastic. Like, Look through this and find some names. There are some great names in there. I don't know any Rahabs, but isn't it fascinating that God intentionally took Rahab and wove her in to the line of his son, Jesus the Messiah that comes to redeem the world? And isn't she a beautiful and phenomenal example, not of her own faith, but of God's grace in our lives? It says, I'm gonna take this and not hide her away and go, yeah, 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 there was some person, there's some family that was saved in the battle of the Jericho. No, 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 there was a prostitute who was saved who was the least valued of anybody in her city. And she's all of a sudden woven into the line of Jesus. Didn't change her name, preserved her name, put her right there front and center. But it's even better than that. Later on in, in Hebrews, there's this chapter that it just lists line after line after line of examples to celebrate 
as for people who've had faith in God. And here's Rahab woven into that list. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, this was her faith. And isn't it interesting that she's, how she's still identified? Like, I don't know if Rahab is, is somewhere unable to read scripture, but if I were her, I would think like, come on guys, like, can we just drop the title? Can I just be Rahab? But Rahab, the prostitute, by faith, that one. It's as if God is saying, no, 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 no. Let my mercy and let my grace and let my kindness shine. If you're just Rahab and we miss your background and your situation and your status in life, what I've done for you doesn't get to shine as brightly. But by faith, the prostitute Rahab. And it gets even better than that in James chapter 2, verse 25. It says this. In the same way, was not even Rahab, and catch it, that prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. This action that she did, this choice that she did, where she put all of her chips in the middle of the table and said, I don't have a chance other than this. I don't have any, I will not exist after this next battle if, if I don't say, my life is in your hands, God, because there is none greater than you. You are God in heaven above and on earth below. I am all in, I am with you, I have no other choice. You are the God who is gonna save me or I will die. I need to be delivered, I need to be rescued. What God is doing in saving Rahab is demonstrating his character in one of the most, I think, best and dramatic stories and situations in all of scripture. He demonstrates his character in his power. He demonstrates his character in his grace and his mercy and his kindness. But he also gives us a mirror to look at of who are we and how do we stand before the God of all the universe. The other thing that God is doing through this story is he's modeling for us through Rahab, the prostitute, how to respond to God. Our, our challenge before this God that loves us, that sees us, that knows us, that watches over us, that provides for us, that protects us, that rescues and saves us over and over and over again, is to declare what he has done and to lay our own lives down and by faith say, I'm yours and I'm not mine. To declare what he has done. Rahab looking around her and seeing what the next few days and weeks were going to, to mean she looked around her and, and clearly could say, this is all falling apart. When we talk about a God who saves today, I would guess that every single one of us looks beyond our own life and looks around and go, where is God saving? What is God saving? And, and I, I, if, if you have this, um, if, if your mind and your heart has a default setting on it that by the grace of God you were born with, where you look out and you go, man, look at what happened yesterday. That was so great. Look what's planned for next week. That's great. Look at the news the last month. Did you hear all those wonderful stories? Look at, the, look at how my street looks and look at how my drive to work looks. And you can find the positive in that. I need to hang out with you. I want to... I want to have more of that and grow more of that in my own soul. Because my default setting is not that. 
My default setting is to look out and to go, that could be tweaked and be improved. That is tragic and crazy and wrong and should never happen. Why is that still going on? How could that leader have made that decision? Why is this this way? Why are these people parked here? Why did that government make that decision? I, I just see all of the things and I go, what? Can we fix all this? And clearly the answer so far in the human story is no. God is still saving. Rahab's entire situation looked doomed. For some of us, that's what we see. We see all of the things that are wrong. And so Rahab's story for us today, the challenge that we face, is to stop for just a moment and to declare what God has done. To declare that he stopped up a river and freed 1.2 million people at least. That he provided for them in the desert for 40 years in miraculous ways over and over and over and that he defeated two evil towns of Sion and Og. That's what she declared. What does that look like for us to actually stop and declare, God, you are saving right now. I've got a few for you if you need some help. I need some help. I've done some work. I'll share these with you. Right here in our own city, right here even in, within our own church, we're celebrating that there are some women, and I wish I had a number in my head, and if you know it, you can shout it out, but there are a number of women who just in the last few days graduated from a program at Shepherd's Door where their lives were, they would say, in ruin and broken and addiction and on the streets and in need of help and had spent a number of months in a program and are graduated and ready to take the next step in life having been kicked addiction, grown personally, become more self-aware learned scripture, been in community, been invested in by others, and been helped to take the next step in life, and celebrated and cheered for because of what God is doing in their life, that he's saving and rescuing them from a, a life headed towards death, and now saying no to death and yes to life, and their life is significantly changed. I shared with you, amen. I know a number of you were at that graduation. I know a number of you have invested in those women in the ministry too, and it's an amazing thing. I've shared with you a number of times over the last few months, I've been reading a book, unfortunately really slowly, called Faithful Disobedience. It tells the story of the Chinese church, the Chinese house church movement that's been going on. And to learn of what Chairman Mao did and what, and what totalitarianism looked like and communism looked like and the horrendous story that has gone on in the last 70 years in China and the details of what it's meant for followers of Jesus who have come to know Jesus in China with help from other countries and some just on their own by the grace of God. And the devastation and the numbers of schools and churches and seminaries and pastors and Christian leaders and men and women and children who have declared their faith in Christ that have just been their lives devastated and thrown in jail. And yet, in the last 40 years, the last four decades, what was whittled down to one million Christians in China has now rapidly exploded to a hundred million Christians in China, largely through a house church movement. God rescues and redeems and saves even in the worst of situations. I have had a friend who not, not physically, but spiritually and personally was on his way, he would say to death, shared with me recently that he decided he's not going to drink any more alcohol because of what it was doing in his life. And he's going to take some significant steps in his life to boundary himself from screens so that he will not look at pornography anymore. 
because he was able to identify the devastation those two things were having on his life and were actually leading him towards death. And he said no to death and he said yes to life because of other voices in his life that have helped him and come alongside and confronted him. And I can look at his life and go, God saves and redeems and helps. We celebrated the story of a woman who was baptized last week. A number of months ago, we celebrated on, on Easter of a number of young people who have given their life to Jesus. We've got another baptism time set when we go to the beach on August 27th. And we've already got one person who's interested in baptism. That we have people that are coming to faith in our city in Portland, Oregon, when everything is set against them to run away from Jesus and to reject a God who saves, who've laid down their life and said no. That we can find ways to say, there's where God is saving, there's where God is redeeming, there's where God is rescuing in our life. And it's a discipline and it's a joy to be able to do that. It is represented in the songs that we sing that God is regularly saving and redeeming, even in the midst when everything looks crazy. Rahab also took time to confess her faith. Would we do that? Would we confess our faith and say, not only God, if we see you at work in these ways, but this is who you are. This is who I surrender my life to. This is who I declare my faith in. It's one of the reasons we come to this table regularly. And so now as we continue to sing with words that actually declare who God is, we come to this table and say, Jesus, you are the one who saves. You gave your life and you've asked me to lay down my life and to follow you. And as we do this, would we do so with a sense of, I need a savior, I need a king. I have sinned, I'm wrong, I'm frail. I might not have the, the, the title determined in my life yet that Tim the prostitute, Sally the prostitute, whatever the title is that goes with you, that you can wear it not as a, a shameful label, but as the very thing that God has saved you from because of the blood of Jesus. And so I invite you now, if you want to come with somebody, a, a friend, a spouse, kids, and you want to come together and go off to the side and pray, please do that. But we're just going to take this time now to say words that are true of our God who saves and to come to this table and say, we need the saving. And so Jesus, you're my savior. You're my king. The cup represents Christ's blood shed for us and the little cracker represents his body broken. Jesus, as we come this morning, we come declaring that you are alive, that you conquered death and offer us life. And would we as our minds are renewed, as our souls are brought to life, would we be readily willing and able to declare where we see you at work and that we need you at work in our own life and that we're grateful for the work that you've done in each of us. Jesus, you're our king, you're our savior, you're our rescuer.